Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Professor Christopher Malloy. He teaches theology at the University of Dallas. He's published two academic books and numerous scholarly articles. And probably more importantly, he's a husband and father of seven. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, I mean, we're going to be talking about False Mercy, uh, the book you just wrote, uh, recently wrote and, or just came out called uh, with uh, Recent Heresies, Distorting Catholic Truth. And I would imagine, um, you know, because I see it all the time, there's not only confusion, but especially I don't have young kids anymore, but I have grandkids. I mean, there's got to be some real concern about what's being spoken to, what's being taught, not only within the church, outside the church. Uh, with all these, you know, distortions of truth, it, it's got to concern you as a husband and father, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, now, I'll have to say, because I, you know, teach theology, I every uh, with my uh, older children, I, you know, on Sundays we we call it the Bible hour. We break open the Bible for about forty five minutes, and then forty five minutes of, um, you know, theology, and uh, you know, we. So I'm able to. Uh, teach them, and they're in good schools where they get good formation. So, I feel lucky that way. But you know, for it's for everybody else. Uh, I just feel terrible, and uh, they're confused. I, I get kids sending their um, their children to you know the kind of elite Catholic schools you could you could think of, and their kids are writing home saying, "Okay, so is is this and that changing?" And then I get these questions. I said, "No, that's <laughs> not changing." <laughs> But people are confused. And so it's, um, you know, it's a great time to live at the same time. I keep telling my kids because, you know, you know, you look at the negative and you got to remember, wait a minute, what's God calling us to now? It's called he's calling us to be saints and heroes. And, you know, so that so it is an exciting time to live, but it's also a treacherous time. Well, and that's why, you know, truth is always important. It's always been important. But, you know, the way it gets distorted nowadays and again, right, we have, you know, and I want to talk about a couple terms just so people understand. And one is, you know, the modernist, right, this modernist movement that's that's really taking place within the church, I think, causes as much concern and distortion as anything you're going to hear out in the secular world. Right. So can you define no, I, what, a, what, what modernist is just so people know, because we'll probably be bringing that up time and throughout this interview. So you could have a technical, a really technical and precise notion of modernism, which I'm not employing, or you could have more of a looser notion, and that's what I'm employing, specifically with regard to doctrinal development. And essentially, the modernists say doctrine is not, uh, it's really not a truth statement. It's more like a way of putting uh, how you're feeling, a way of uh, expressing things that might lead to good results. Uh, that that kind of thing. And so if it works in this age, it's great. But if it doesn't work in this age, you've got to change the doctrine. And so uh, essentially, what, you know, did, what did Christ come to do? He came to announce who you are. Uh, you know, and that, that's what some of the modernists say. Um, and, and I would put Karl, Moder- Karl Rahner as a uh, more yep. recent yep. modernist. And you can see I lace him throughout my book. He's very sophisticated, but when you finally peel back to the bottom, 
you see there's, there's problems there. And the pandemic is a great example. So his notion of sacraments, and it's very sophisticated. I'm, so the, the listeners should um, remember, you know, he, he's a very, very bright man. Uh, and uh, so it doesn't look as bad when you first see it. So you kind of have to really dig until you realize what's going on. All right. His notion of sacraments is you already have the grace within you. It's already swimming around within you. And the world is filled with the grace of God, which in a way that sounds great. But then what, is the, what does that do with the sacraments? The sacraments symbolize the grace that's already there. And uh, so are the, can you dispense with them? Well, he'd say, no, you need, to, you need to have rituals that celebrate what you are. So then you think, okay, what did Christ actually bring? Did he actually give us the Holy Spirit? Did he actually, uh, so to say, pour out the Holy Spirit on those whom he was forgiving when he walked by? Rahner would say no. Uh, you see, the Holy Spirit is, as, as it were, already there in them, and they just simply kind of need to, you know, they might need to repent or something like this, but really they're waking up to the grace that was already there. So that's kind of, frankly, you know, as I'm saying it, that sounds Gnostic. It sounds like early Christian yeah. Gnosticism. You wake up to, what's, to, to your inner truth. And as a matter of fact, grace is not my inner truth. <laughs> you know, I'm not totally corrupt. We're not totally corrupt, but we are sinful. And so we have natures right. that are good in themselves, but weak and feeble, and we're hungry. We need food, you know. So the pandemic, I, I say this in the book, I mean, essentially, uh, or in, in, a, in another article, uh, uh, that the way we've handled the pandemic makes sense in light of Rahner's um, sacramental theology. It's a gr- and by the way... People aren't reading Rahner, but if you're doing RCIA, I can almost guarantee you that, you know, 70% of the time you're reading books that are at least somewhat infected by Rahner. They might, they might be better than others, but many of them are infected by Rahner. Uh, and so, you know, you're doing your best. I mean, you, you realize there's the real presence, you know, and so you're the direct RCIA director or whatever, and you're not trying to do this, but it slips in with the with some of the books or in, or it's just, it's still there like a little drip in the, in the books, you know, and it's not a good theology. I mean, yeah, God gives his grace outside the sacraments. That That's what Rahner was trying to, that's the truth he was trying to say. We've always said that, right. Right. you know, grace, grace comes outside the sacraments as well. Like Paul goes to Thecla, according to the, uh, you know, the legend of, of Thecla, and she's already hungry for God. She already knows these are myths. The Greek theology is myths and and Paul comes preaching the truth, and she converts. God was already at work in her heart. We know this. He's at work in the heart of pagans. Um, but when, when the sacraments come, they come with big power. And, and we need, you, you know, you and I know we need them. Like, no confession? I'm sorry. I hope I, you know, I hope I make the perfect act of contrition. But, I mean, I want to get to heaven. I want, I want the pandemic to end. I want right. sacraments, you know. Right. Well, and the church, you know, and, and again, the, I think the, the great, the— the greatest evil we have right now within the church is these these subtle lies that just lead people further and further away from the truth. And right, and that's the that's the uh, really the gift that the devil has. Right, he mixes truth with lies so that it's yeah. easier just to lead people kind of astray. And that's why I think you know putting a book together like you just did, this false mercy, you know, false compassion, all this false stuff to try to make people feel good while watering down the truth does nothing but lead people astray and lead them further from 
maybe getting into heaven than, than they would have if they just stuck with the sacraments, received the graces, and really, you know, just kind of cut through all the morass. Yeah, just stick with the catechism. That's what Cardinal Burke's been saying, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, like, and I mean, fancy theology could get you to hell. I mean, if, if it's not, you know, good theology that's fancy or sophisticated, that's fantastic. But a lot of it just wants to be cool. Well, and and it's and the problem is it's not cool, right? Because it's got no. it's, it has tentacles in it that just grab people. And you know we have them all in our family. So what's wrong with this? You know you hear, you know, and unfortunately we have a pope right now who speaks very unclearly. I mean he loves the gray matter, um, but when you really dissect what he's saying, I mean just recently he was talking about, you know, you you know you mentioned in your book you talk about. Uh, hell right and how you know it's more more or less just kind of a threat not not necessarily are people actually going to go there well the pope kind of almost alludes to that in some of his recent comments you mentioned ronner right von baltazar even bishop baron leads people to think you know you can think nobody's in hell this really is a dangerous dangerous thought isn't it I, I think it is, and but I do like to distinguish two aspects. I call it the numbers game. Is anybody in hell, yes or no? And then the arguments right. for the numbers game, right? So Because typically you'll hear, with regard to the numbers game, people immediately jump to that, and they never look at the arguments. So they'll say, uh, okay, well, the church has never defined that anyone's in hell or that some particular person's in hell. Uh, and, and so then they say, okay, so then maybe no one's in hell. And then they immediately, then they're done. That's it. So you don't see the arguments. Now, when you yep. look at the arguments in my, in my book, I get into the arguments, uh, of Van Balthazar yep. and, uh, the numbers game put to one side for a minute and look at the arguments and the arguments are really problematic. For example, he'll say, if anyone goes to hell, then, then God is uh, in a tragedy. He, he, is, he is eternally, he's going to eternally suffer. Or if anyone goes to hell, uh, then um, yeah, that basically he's a failure. God is a failure. And his will for salvation, his universal will for salvation is too weak for your sin. So then he goes and looks at the tradition, you know, like people like Thomas Aquinas, Bonaventure, John Damascene, so Eastern and Western fathers, uh, doctors, I should say. Uh, and he'll say, they, these right. guys drew a distinction between God, what God um, wants antecedently, like in other words, kind of before your action, if you will. What he wants for you, if, if you just consider that you're a human, he wants your salvation. But then what does he want for you having considered your, your works and your, what you've done with your life? Uh, and that's his consequent will. God only has one will, but there's, we make these distinctions in order to deal with people who sin. Like, does God want you and me to sin? No. So he, he wills us to obey him, but yet we do sin. So we have to make this distinction. Well, Balthazar dismisses it with sarcasm. We're talking about a right. tried and true distinction made by venerable fathers, and uh, then and the medievals keep it going, doctors, saints, and he uses sarcasm. That's his argument. Is sarcasm. So, and but people are, you know, everyone is so in awe of Van Balthasar. He is an amazing theologian in many ways, very powerful intellect, very literary. He was kind of artistic. Um, so I get that. 
very respect, respectable in many ways. But let's look at his arguments. Let's just take him one at a time and not get political. Does this argument work? Can you use sarcasm to get rid of a, tra- a t- distinction that's in the tradition? No, you can't. <laughs> uh, and we, as far as num- numbers games go, I, I say let's go right to the devil and the demons. They are in hell, and they're not getting out of hell. No one gets out of hell. And that's the church's solemn teaching. So you can't... So. As a matter of fact, we do believe that hell is populated. Once we believe hell is populated, we've got to make a distinction. God wanted Lucifer's salvation. He gave him the grace yep. for salvation. And, and, and Lucifer stuck it to him. And now he's sticking it to us. <laughs> uh, and so yep. you've got to make the distinction. Is God an eternal tragedy? Well, Balthazar, he would be if, if you're right. So you must be wrong. Because God is a God of peace and happiness, and he, he wants everyone with him. But if you don't want to go, it doesn't ruin his party. You know, he, he came and bled to death for us in the flesh so that we could convert. He didn't come for the angels because uh, they're, uh, they're not able right. to convert. They, they make one decision. But you and I can convert if we don't before we die, if we have committed a, a sin— Okay, and we don't convert before we die, a mortal sin, um, then we will be in hell. That's a solemn teaching of the church, and people have forgotten that. <laughs> people are like, hell? You know, you mean that still exists? Yeah. I thought, that, wasn't, that, wasn't that Voris who talks about hell? I thought he invented it. You know, that, that's basically the, the gist. And say, no, he didn't invent it. It's, it's been around. <laughs> well, and, you know, if God's a failure because people are in hell, he was a failure before people because, as you mentioned, right, the devil's yeah. in hell. That's right. Of the angel or whatever. So he was already a failure before he started using uh, von Balthasar's logic. Absolutely. Here's another one. I like this one because it's a little exegetical. So grace abounded all the more. Where, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So they'll say, well, therefore, everybody's got to be saved. And, and, and my answer is, if, if that text of St. Paul is a numbers game, then he needs to save more people than fell. And that's, that's a contradiction. You can't save more people than fell. So it's not, he's not talking about numbers. He's saying that when God takes a Mary Magdalene, um, out of whom he casts seven devils, um, and makes her holy, this is an awesome triumph. And, and you, know, you know how you and I would celebrate if, let's say, Madonna suddenly became pious, like really pious. Or, or we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't begrudge yeah. We wouldn't begrudge it in the slightest. We would be... On our knees, thanking God. I mean, she's. Augustine talks about this in Confessions. When famous people who are anti-Christian convert, or even just non-Christian, you know, happy with their secular lives, um, maybe Trump, for instance. You know, I, I mean, I don't know, yeah. you know, what his what his uh, deal is, but he's not a devout Catholic. Um, and so, right. like, if someone like he or or Biden were to become a truly practicing, embrace all the teachings of the Church Catholic, we wouldn't begrudge him. We would love it. So oh, you're right, and that, uh, you're right. We celebrating. You're absolutely right. So that's the a grace abounded. You know, it's it it it, it took people out of a state of impenitence, out of a state of sin, alienation, darkness, and we rejoice in that. Well, you know, but it's also not, it's not that that's not the numbers game. That's that's right. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, and you know, I think it's so important to kind of clarify that because there is so much mis misinformation and, and deliberately so 
I don't care how, you know, the road to, right, the road to hell's paved with good intentions. I don't care what you're trying to do. And I think that's really where the false mercy comes in, right? You're not really helping anybody. You're maybe you're right. trying to make some friends, but in the end, you're leading people to hell, which, uh, you know, doesn't bode well for our own judgment when we do that. Exactly. And, and that's, that's exactly right. I mean, we want affection. And so we don't want, you know, I've got a friend I know who his daughter went into the, into the terrible lifestyle, you know, we call it the San Francisco mm-hmm. lifestyle or whatever. And, um, so, you know, that tore them up. They loved her every moment of, of her doing this, but they would not let her friend come back home. And they, she had to wear modest clothes around the house if she ever came home and um, they, but they would not affirm the activity. And so finally, a couple years later, she uh, leaves that, leaves that way of life. And she's like taking care of a, a dying uncle or something like that uh, in the family. I, I mean, that, right. that's awesome. That's so we've got to keep the truth. That's true mercy where you, you not only have affection for the person, but you will their good. Uh, you know, so even even if that willing the good alienates them from your company, they they need you to will that good. And so right now we're just got all this affection. Like we don't want people to hate us. Human respect, I suppose. Well, I mean, we live in a world, you know, this woke culture where everybody's afraid to say anything for fear. And everybody wears their emotions on their sleeves. Right. If you look at somebody cross eyed, they have a fit. And really, yeah. that's if you buy into that kind of culture, you're not trying to lead people to heaven. You're a father of seven, right? I ha- I've had four. I have grandchildren. You know, to deny them the truth really means I don't love them, right? I'm more concerned about my own feelings than their that's salvation. Right. Which that's, that is, I mean, that's a re- talk about a recipe for disaster. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just t- tough love. It, you know, I mean, we say it. It's true. Maybe it's not the best expression, but it's real. Real love, <laughs> real mercy, not fake. Right. Well, and you know, and you talk about, you know, that people say, you know, the church is not the one true church and it's not the one true religion. And then you go in, you know, with that kind of thought process, it doesn't it doesn't really surprise anybody that when you start showing the graphs of the decline in priests, the decline in religious sisters, the issues with marriage, you know, the fewer people being baptized. I mean, all that just kind of feeds upon itself. If, in fact, the church is not the true church and not the true religion, who cares, right? Who cares? Am I going to dedicate my life as a nun or a priest to or a brother to, to, to that? No. And the thing is, is I guess we're all worried about judgment, you know, getting, you know, judging people. I think that's a big worry. You know, I, I treat that in a couple of the chapters. I understand right. that. And we're not we're, we're not supposed to judge, you know, the inner soul. We can judge the the activity. We can judge the, as it were, public character. You know, that's so and so is not trustworthy. Don't date him. You know, things like that. Um, but uh, but absolutely, uh, the, the, what what kind of religion is this? Is is this a manly religion where Christ came to set fire to the to the to the earth, or is it a you know affirmation of coexistence religion? It's it's not the latter. It's the former. Well, and sometimes it feels like some people within the church are trying to meld it into the world religion, right? They want to have, you know, you hear about the great reset and one, you know, great entity. 
it almost feels like that's what some people within the church are trying to do. I mean, right, we have we have this insidious deal with the Chinese that where they can pick bishops in the Chinese church when we throw the faithful under the bus. I mean, you know, we have yeah, that seems very people, dangerous. People promoting, yeah, people promoting um, married uh, people married, divorced, and remarried without an annulment. You know, if they feel in their heart they should be able to receive communion. I mean, we're really watering. When we water down the truth, we water down Jesus, and that just leads us, you know, to some terrible taste in Kool-Aid, and that we know what Kool-Aid did to Jim Jones in Guyana. That's right. Well, the other thing is it's condescending. You know, you're 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 a, a schlep. You know, you're you're a loser. Uh, you'll never get it. You can't you can't convert. I'm not going to challenge you with the with the message of truth. I'm just going to sedate you. <laughs> you know, with this. Uh, coexistence gospel. No, that doesn't, that's not respectful to the person, even though it might seem respectful. But I'll tell you, it's hard to walk. It's hard to walk the balance. It's hard to stick to the truth and face the opposition and not get bitter in response. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you mentioned it earlier, right? In the end, it's all about saving souls. And, you know, if, if the you know the greatest sinners in the public forum convert, it is worth it. It's worth being beat on and humiliated to save souls because in the end we're called to get to heaven and bring as many people there with us. And if we're afraid of the consequences, all you have to do is look at the crucifix. I can't imagine the Lord's going to say, "Oh, I get it. You you were afraid of not being liked. Yeah, that would be terrible." <laughs> right, right. Good analogy. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's mind-boggling. But you're at you know you're at University of Dallas. You know, there's only a handful of really good Catholic schools. When your students come in, are they you know they're attracted to the truth, right? That's why you guys are doing so. Yeah, no, I I you know I love my job. I've been here 20 years, uh, and sometimes I feel lucky that they're paying me for it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I just met a guy from Spain who's kind of found his way into the church. And he's like, so do you like your job? And I said, you kidding me? I love it. And it's family friendly. But but yeah, the students, uh, the students at UD are, you know, mass ends, adoration starts. Who arranges the adoration? Pretty much the students. You know, campus right. ministry kind of oversees it, makes sure every hour is is there covered. But you know, so that's incredible. It's a, it's a great privilege uh, to teach here. And then, you know, and we have other students that, you know, would, you know, are going to question, challenge, um, and, and they're respectful. And so, and we're respectful to them and th- it, it gets them thinking, you know, and then they ask good questions uh, as well. So it, it's, uh, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice environment. Well, you know, it real you know, people forget we are the church militant. And I think places like University of Dallas, you know, Benedictine, Franciscan, I mean, there's a handful of them, uh, University of Mary, you know, you are equipping the young people to go out into battle, right? I mean, if there aren't these places, because they're going to go to the Georgetowns and the, you know, any of the Jesuit universities and get their head full of garbage, uh, they're not going to be very good warriors. You guys are really equipping them so when they graduate, they got to go out and fight the battle of truth. And, and I like that analogy because if we don't say, hey, there is a fundamentally dramatic character in existence and there's a battle, a, a, you're a warrior. If we don't say that, then they're going to be falling prey to the 
I just want the affection of, of these people. And then they're going to try to get as many friends as possible and they'll water down their commitment to the truth until it disappears. So yes, I mean, you, you, you want to you love everyone. What does that mean? That, well, it's founded on the truth. There, there is such a thing as truth without love. There is no such thing as love without truth. Well, no, because if God is love and Jesus is truth and God equals love equals truth, then if you don't do put them together, then you're really going out and, and doing a disservice instead of what you're really called to do, right? Well, I, I say I want to say yes to that. I mean, like, okay, so we, but this is just the only thing I want to say is truth is foundational. Yeah. Faith is first, yes. and then charity. Charity is more excellent, but you've got to have a foundation on truth. And we all know about the grouchy, um, you know, the grouchy Catholic or whatever, who is only complaining and, you know, pointing out the truth and doesn't have much charity or, or at least doesn't show much charity. That right. is a problem. And that can alienate people. But you know what? They go home, then they're ticked off about that jerk. And then, the, you know, they turn off the lights and they're going to bed. And they're thinking, you know, here I am a practicing this or that, you know, or, you know, I'm doing this in, or, you know, I'm a lone shark. And they might think about it, you know, like when the shadows fall <laughs> and, uh, yeah. that, that, that guy in a, in a way, God still works through that guy, but what he's not going to work through is a sentimentalist. Uh, I mean, God works through everything, but, but a sentimentalist right. is going to make you feel comfortable in your alienation. And that, that's a real disservice. Well, and that's, you know, it's the it's best fun. is the, the, yeah, the best is the cheerful saint, of course, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned earlier, right? You know, love is an act of the will, right? For the good of the other. It's not, you know, I love my cheeseburger, I love my car. <laughs> right, uh, right. You know, it, it really is a distortion of love to think you just want people to feel good because, as I mentioned before, as parents, our job is not to be our kids' best friend, it's to lead them to heaven. And yeah. we'll become friends when they get older, but when they're, when they're in the house, it doesn't quite work that way. I can't believe we're down to about the last 30, 40 seconds. How can people get the book? I know it's put out by Sophia Press. Uh, where can so, they find yeah, so, it? Yeah, SophiaInstitute.com uh, is the place to go. Uh, and, uh, you know, that way you dodge the forest, uh, the Amazon forest. But uh, but you can <laughs> buy it on Amazon as well. But SophiaInstitute.com uh, 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 or something of that nature. If you Google Sophia Institute False Mercy, you'll get it. Pretty much top five hits. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.